team. This was awesome. And thank you to you for your authenticity and Dave, for your fire. Yeah, it's, it's so awesome to see the real testimonies that we have here. You are the church. The individuals here are the church. It's not this building. It's me and you. So, um, yeah, it's really good to see that realness coming through. I'm so pleased that Aaron turned the microphone off during the worship. I was like, this has been on. And I was like, I was just, just to, dialed my worship down just a bit, knowing there was a microphone there. <laughs> I'm really pleased that he actually turned it off during the worship. <laughs> um, most of you will know me. Uh, I work here at Connect. Uh, Pastor Shannon is still away. He's had the whole month of January off, and so hopefully he's going to come back well recuperated and refreshed. Yeah. So welcome back to 2023. I know most of you have been here for a couple of weeks. I haven't been. I've been off with a bit of COVID, so if you notice my voice getting a little bit croaky, that's, that's the reason. <laughs> I, I brought it back from the North Island too, Dave, you know, where you're from. Yeah, um, but 2023 is the year of engagement. So if you're single, could be you, yeah. <laughs> was that a dad joke or was that a dad? That was a dad joke, okay. Shannon's not here, I've got to do it, so. But at the end of 2022, Pastor Shannon really was determined to name 2023 before it named itself. I mean, if it had been up to me and I'd come into 2023, I would have named it the year of reinfection because I got COVID again. <laughs> um, but based on the words and the pictures that we got at the prayer meeting in November, it was named the year of engagement. So Nedra and Bex over the last couple of weeks have preached around um, engagement with fellowship and discipleship. Inspirational, motivational, if not a little convicting at times, yeah. And I'm aware that this is the third instalment in the series. So this is the engagement with the mission of God. 2023 is going to be the year of engagement with the mission of God. Hey, Dave, yes. when you were saying that, I was like, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I'm aware, though, that the mission of God and engagement with the mission of God could bring up quite different emotions for many of us. So some people might be already fired up, Dave. Other people might not be exactly sure what this means. And for others of you, you know, with pictures in your head of standing on the street corner with a sandwich board and handing out flyers, you know, it could be a little bit terrifying. But irrespective of how you feel about it, I believe that this message is going to leave you feeling inspired, fired up and equipped with some concrete steps that we can all use to engage with the mission of God every day in our community. Our mission here at Connect is to connect people with Jesus daily. Amen. So let's do it, eh? And I can't wait to see how God will bless our efforts in the Marlborough community over the year. Amen, eh? Right. So this sermon has actually been brewing in my spirit for quite a while. Um, it was back in 2020... And I was sitting in the Connect office on a Monday morning. I was counting the offering. I was recording the attendance at the Sunday service. Um, and as I'm the office manager, I usually then send out a little report with a pretty graph and pictures and all the numbers on it to the leadership team and the finance team. 
And it had been a little bit disappointing, like we have been really pushing some, some goals there, some stretch goals that we had, and we were only seeing like slight growth. So I was a little bit disappointed. And to add to the discouragement that Monday, I was like, I was having trouble filling the roster for Sunday. I was struggling to find like reliable volunteers to fill all our duties. So I sent this report off to the leadership team and the finance team, and I had this real feeling of futility and doubt. I had really felt called to the position of office manager. I came to that position just six months after I became a Christian. And a big part of that was because I just so wanted to share with everybody this Jesus that I'd found. For those of you who don't know my story, like Jesus turned my life around 180. That was 360, but that was like, there was a few 360s in there as well. But Jesus turned my life around like 180 degrees. Like coming to know Jesus was the difference between life and death, between existing and actually living, between darkness and light. Like all the scriptures, they were really true for me. And I was just dying to share this Jesus I'd found with everybody else. So I come to work here at the Kent office to count people and money. Okay, now this is easy enough to do, and all right, the tracking of numbers does appeal to me a little bit because I'm an overactive accountant. Um, I'm a self-confessed spreadsheet addict as well, so you know. But <laughs> thanks, Dave. <laughs> but then it struck me like if Jesus walked in my office right then and there, he wouldn't have asked to see the finance report or the attendance report. I don't think he'd ask how many people we had on the roster for the morning tea duty next week. It made me ask the question, am I delivering on what Jesus is actually asking me for? Are we, as a church, doing that? And what could that look like? I mean, that was a whole new spreadsheet once I asked that question, I tell you. So this is the question that was really been brewing there for a while. So when I heard Shannon say, 2023 is going to be the year of engagement with the mission of God. I was like, "Woo!" I was really excited. When I shared this excitement with someone, they said, well, it all depends how you define the mission of God, I suppose. <sighs> and that question really stuck in my brain. There are a lot of things get stuck up here. But it really stuck in my brain and intrigued me. It's like, oh, the mission of God? I know what the mission of God is. So for the last month or so, when people walk in the office, I've been asking them, how do they define the mission of God? And I've had some very interesting and varied responses. And I've been told more than once to Google it. <laughs> I think the suggestion from Tenika was probably because I kept asking everybody and she got sick of me asking everyone. But <laughs> What it did show me, though, is everybody's got a slightly different perspective on it and everybody's coming at it from a slightly different angle. And that's totally okay. So first of all, we're just going to look at exactly what exactly the mission of God is. And then I've got these four steps that we can follow through so that we can actually partner with God, partner with the Holy Spirit, and engage with God in his mission. Now I'm going to have to have a wee drink. My throat is running out already. Yep, it's definitely water. Thanks, Dave. <clears throat> so 
So the first scripture that comes to mind for many people when asked about engaging with the mission of God is prize to that man, Matthew 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. So if you've got your Bibles there, grab your Bibles and just turn to that with me. I think it's going to pop up on the screen anyway. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through to 20, and it says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right, so preaching the gospel, let's do that. That's a good sermon. I can go home. Okay, right. <laughs> Couple of phrases, just one phrase in there that I just want to pull out. It says, um, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Therefore, go. So Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. The supreme being with all authority in heaven and on earth has commanded us to go. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> it's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And it's a command for every follower of Jesus. My second point from that phrase, all authority, is we're commanded to go out with the authority of Jesus. We're commissioned to do this with him. And as he says at the end there, he's going to be with us right through to the end. So this was clearly a really important command, given with authority and to be carried out with authority. But I don't believe it fully encompasses the mission of God. I believe we really need to look a lot deeper. This was a non-optional command, but we need to ask questions about what is God's mission and how do we engage with it and how does it relate to this command? How are they all different? So I know, as a mum, if I'm giving my children directions for a task, if they know why I'm asking them to do something, sometimes the results are a little bit different. So, for example, if I ask my daughter to put her things away in her room, she's a great one for arts and crafts, and it sort of gets spread around the whole house. If I ask you to put her things away in her room, she'll put her things away in her room. But if you ask her to put her things away in her room, in a way that she can find them again later, or in a way so we can actually make our way to the bed, or in a way that her bedroom doesn't become a health and safety hazard, then I might get it done in a slightly different way. Maybe. It's sort of like the, um, the scene from the movie in Karate Kid, if anyone's seen that movie. The wax on, wax off scene? Yeah, I think everybody's seen that. Okay, so if you haven't seen it, Mr Miyagi, he's a karate tutor, and he's teaching his student some basic moves. But he doesn't tell him he's doing that. He just gets him cleaning his car. Wax on, wax off. Yeah. Daniel's son. Okay, Daniel's son soon gets really bored of this, throws his toys out of the cot and doesn't want to do it anymore. And that's when Mr Miyagi explains that he's actually helping him build his defence reflexes. Wax on, wax off. 
Clearly understanding the why helps us to visualise the ultimate intended results and be more effective in the manner in which we carry out the instructions. So we've got to understand the why. We've got to understand, and God's mission is the why behind that command. So what is God's mission, and how does it relate to this command? So there's so many scriptures that I could pull out to answer this question, but I'm just going to throw a few at you. I'm going to do it pretty quickly, so if you've got your Bibles ready, steady, go. We'll start with Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Let's see if I can get there fast enough. Or I'll read it off the back of the screen. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Humans' first mission from God. God's divine purpose was that humans would live in communion with God, in communion with each other, and would exercise care over God's creation. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Are you keeping up, Dave? This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus taught us to pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because obviously after the fall, it wasn't happening. John 17, verses 20 and 21. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. May they also be in us. God's mission is relationship. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace with, through his blood shed on the cross. God's mission is to reconcile all things to himself. So I think if you could sum up all those verses in one word, if you could, it would be relationship. God's mission is the restoration of relationship with his creation. So how do we engage with that mission? 2023 is the year of engagement with the mission of God. So I've been reading this book. Um, it's by Bob Goff, a Christian lawyer. So you, know, you could be a Christian and a lawyer. I hope there's no lawyers in the audience. All right, I'm just... But as an accountant, we usually throw those vibes out. Yeah. Um, the book is called Everybody Always, Becoming Love in a world, world Full of Setbacks and Difficult People. And for some reason, it just absolutely jumped off the shelf at me. I don't know why. For some, for, 
from time to time, we've all got to deal with difficult people. And um, it was one of those days. So I picked up this book to read it. In this book, he recounts a story. He's a lawyer, and he is the prosecuting lawyer in Uganda's first witch doctor trial. It's a really, really, really confronting story. Um, dealing with child sacrifice and all sorts of other gory things. I'll just read you the opening of the chapter. Kabi was the head of the witch doctors in his region of northern Uganda. He was my age, had no hair on his head and no stubble on his face and no smile. It was like all the hate in his life had congregated on his face. It was worn and stern and his bloodshot eyes had a yellowish hue. Kabi was the most evil person I had ever met. And then it goes on to tell how he had abducted an eight-year-old boy and um, it takes you through the trial. None of the witch doctors had ever been brought to trial before because the witch doctors in Uganda really held, at this point in time, how the country gripped with fear and also because none of the victims had previously survived. This boy was the first to survive. Bob recounts the intimidation, the spiritual battle, and this pure evil. At one point, and he, he talks about how the trial is being filmed, and the witch doctor looks at the camera, and the camera breaks. Um, apparently, it was under warranty, but you know. <laughs> but the part of the story that really got me is that once this man had been sentenced, essentially to the death penalty, Bob, the lawyer, felt really convicted because he knew that Jesus called us to love our enemies. So after all that this man had done and everything that Bob had gone through, Bob had went on to adopt this child because he had been abandoned by his family. But after all of this, Bob goes and visits this man in jail and starts to understand why he was the way he was. Cutting a long story short, Cabby asks for forgiveness and gives his life to Jesus. Later, together with Bob, Cabby preaches to the entire prison and baptises hundreds of the death row inmates with his water bottle, with water from his water bottle. And I just want to read you this quote from the end of the chapter, because this is what actually got me. It says, when Cabby was done baptising the death row inmates, he turned and walked deliberately towards me. When he reached me, he grabbed my hands. He looked me in the eyes and he said in a strong and kind voice, Bob, I forgive you. Wait, what? <laughs> this took me by surprise. Hold on, you're the bad guy. You can't forgive me, I was thinking. You're the guy who's the convict. But then I realised what was happening. We had just been reading together what Jesus said to his friends about loving our enemies. In that moment, standing in the prison courtyard, I didn't see a witch doctor I helped convict. I saw Jesus standing barefoot in Cabby's clothes. So our first step in engaging with the mission of God is to ask God to help us see people how he sees them. We need to prepare our hearts before we can engage with the mission of God. God views us all through the blood of Jesus. Jesus was sent to die for us all God sees the bigger picture and understands the why behind people's actions. When we pray 
and ask God to help us see someone as he sees them, we're putting aside our bias, our emotional baggage, our frame of reference, our filters. We realise we are free to love the unlovely because we suffer from the same disease and need the same cure. And that, that is a quote... Actually, just there's a little advert here. That is a quote from um, the Empower Life Group, which is a relational evangelism life group. Um, But we're free to love the unlovely because we all suffer from the same disease and we all need the same cure. If you're interested in coming along to that life group, come see me later. Okay. Actually, the first hour of those meetings at that life group, we spend in prayer to pray for... Um, for people specifically, so that we can see them as God sees them. Prayer helps us to connect with the Holy Spirit so that we're working with him. Paul calls us co-laborers with the Spirit, and we want to be working where God is already at work. To do this, we've got to be viewing people through God's eyes and not through our own imperfections. So that's the first thing we need to do in engaging with the mission of God. The second thing we need to do is meet people's immediate needs first, without expecting anything in return, without expecting them to change. Jesus is our model. Jesus fed people. Jesus healed people. Jesus wept with people. Jesus prayed with people. There was no criteria they had to meet before he would engage with them. Men, women, children, different races, different religions, and usually the most ostracised members of society. Did they all change and become followers? Most definitely not. But he did it anyway. It's part of bringing heaven to earth as he prayed. Jesus, though, by meeting their immediate needs, opens the door to their hearts. Just think about how hard it is to focus if you're hungry or hangry. Or if you're cold, or if you are so stressed out because you don't know how you're going to pay your bills next week. Can you understand love if you've never been shown it? From a psychological perspective, you can't process information effectively if you're in a heightened emotional state. You've probably heard of the fight flight or freeze reactions. I always get them the wrong way around. But if you're under enough pressure, fear, anxiety, your brain goes into survival mode and you can't think any further than basic survival. So that, I believe, is one of the reasons why when Jesus was confronted with a woman caught in the act of adultery, he deals with her fear first. If you're not familiar with that story, there's a mob and they're about to stone this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery and they present her to Jesus. What is this woman's greatest concern at that moment? She's going to die? She's a bit concerned about that, I'd say. She's fearful. Her most pressing need is to survive. So if Jesus doesn't deal with her fear, she's not going to be able to actually process anything he says anyway. That fear would have been so overwhelming. Jesus very wisely says, Let um, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then one by one, her accusers leave, and he's freed her from that fear. And then he can reach her heart. I believe meeting people's immediate needs first, unconditionally, with no strings attached, imitates Jesus. 
While we were yet sinners, he came and died for us. Doing this doesn't actually tell people the story of the gospel, but it shows them the story of the gospel. It actually plays it out for them. Have you ever heard the saying that actions speak louder than words? Now, our community is absolutely full of needs. We've got a mental health crisis, especially amongst our youth, economic stresses, relationship, family breakdowns. And, you know, I reckon there was probably a lot of the same kind of stresses going on in Jesus' day when he said to his disciples, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. I believe he was referring to the level of need there is in the community and how by meeting those needs, it's not just a part of bringing heaven to earth, but it opens the door. people's hearts. So going back to the story of Bob, what did Bob do next? Well, he went out on the road meeting communities of witch doctors to see what their needs were. And it turned out, because they were so feared, most of them from a very young age had been ostracised from their community and never went to school, and so they were all illiterate. So Bob, the Christian lawyer, starts a school for witch doctors just to teach them how to read and write, not to teach them how to be watchdoctors, I'll just clarify that. (laughs) Has it converted all the witch doctors to followers of Jesus? No. Has it been a demonstration of God's grace, just as we are receivers of God's grace? Most definitely. Has it opened the door to sharing the gospel? Absolutely. Although I think it's probably helped that the only textbook they use in this school That's the Bible. (laughs) So what are the needs that you can meet in your community? So here at Connect, we are trying to meet the needs of our community through a lot of the programs of Connect Marlborough Trust. Um, Last year year here in Marlborough, we had um, the absolute tragedy of a a 12-year-old girl who took her own life. So we have the Shine Girl program which deals specifically with some of those issues around that. We've got our youth group where kids can come and hang out, a safe place where they can come and talk. I'd like to say a safe place. Last youth group, someone broke your arm, but, you know. (laughs) Quite unsafe. Safe-ish. The youth suicide rate in New Zealand is astoundingly high. But did you know that if you are a young person and part of the LGBTQ plus community, then your chance, your, your rate, your risk increases by 60%. I mean, they already have a ridiculously high risk of suicide. Theirs has increased by 60%. That's just, it blows my mind. It's scary and it's a really big need. So we have started a gratitude journaling course for this community because it's been proven that gratitude journaling um, has a really positive effect on people's mental health. We are endeavouring to be Jesus in the moment for these people with these immediate and debilitating needs, just as he did for the people that he healed, he fed, he freed from fear. He didn't require anything from them first before he did these things. People might not think we're sharing the gospel, but what we're really trying to do is demonstrate it. 
Whether we're involved in some of the Clinic Mobile Trust programs or out in the community, though, it's imperative to be relational. Um, but being relational, we come to know people's dreams and goals, their challenges, concerns and frustrations. And if any of you here did the Caleb course, you'll recognise all of those words. All of these things start to give you an idea of what these people's needs actually are. When I returned from holiday, my son got really sick. Um, he's been sick for a while, but he just got sicker. Uh, so he had four days in bed, and he also he couldn't talk. So uh, for a while, we were, he was communicating with sign language. And it is amazing how terrible I was at interpreting his sign language. <laughs> how many times I went and got him a drink of water when he needed the window open or something like that. Um, and it just made me realise, he got the voice toll on his computer going really quickly after that though, and that was hilarious, because apparently you can be as cheeky as you like with that, and he doesn't get in trouble. That's the theory anyway. <laughs> but it made me realise how easy it is to assume you know what someone needs. And quite often you hear, that person needs Jesus. Well, duh, we all need a relationship with Jesus, but what is their immediate need, and what do they see as their immediate need, not what do you see as their immediate need? But what if I'm an introvert, I hear you say? Well, have I got the course for you? <laughs> Actually, I'm an introvert as well. Um, but in March, we've got the Bridge Builders course through the Caleb Leadership Foundation coming out. And this course gives you some great tools to be able to connect with people in a relational way. And it makes it really natural. So, okay, second advert in there as well. So the Empower course, Bridge Builders course, third advert coming up. <clears throat> but I'd love to see everybody at Connect attending this because it just helps us be more relational in our community and it all starts with meeting their needs and connecting with people. Remember, God's mission is relationship. The third thing that we need to keep coming back to is love. And if we do that, it's going to help you introverts to connect as well. But just stop and think for a moment. What did Jesus say was the greatest command? I think we've got that scripture up there, Mark chapter 12, verses 29 to 31. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no greater command than these. These commandments to love God and love our neighbour are the greatest commandments. They're greater than the commandment we previously read in Matthew to go and make disciples. And I think that's really important to keep in mind. If we focus on the love first, then the disciples from our disciple-making will be disciples who love God and love others. Parents, teachers, leaders, they often replicate in their, their kids, their students, their followers, themselves. Because, as we've established, actions speak louder than words. The Bible tells us that true love casts out fear. Fear stifles relationships, and the mission of God is relationships. There's so many verses in the Bible that you could pull out to motivate someone, 
to follow Jesus? That might inspire a bit of fear. And I'm not talking about watering down the gospel. I'm not talking about skipping over difficult scriptures or anything like that. But I think we need to keep in mind that the greatest commandment is love. All about love. If we want the people we share the gospel with to come to love God with their whole heart, mind and soul, then it's got to start from a place of love. True love won't be born out of fear. So making, preparing our hearts through those three steps, I think, is the start to engaging with the mission of God. And then, once we've made, we're doing that, once that is a way of life for us, then we're ready. And the fourth step is be ready. 1 Peter 3.15 And it says there, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and with respect. Be ready. It's kind of where the rubber hits the road. Okay, so I looked up the Greek for the phrase, be ready or be prepared. And the Greek word translated here is like completely unpronounceable. I'm sure it is. Um, It was to me anyway. But it's a masculine plural adjective. And do you know what it means? It means to be ready. (laughs) I know, mind blowing. Yep. But interestingly, in some of the different Bible versions, it's not be ready, but being ready. So it's a constant thing of being ready looking for opportunities, continually preparing your heart to represent Jesus well. And I think it's really, really interesting that this scripture starts by talking about preparing your heart first. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. So how do we do that? How do we be ready? Well, this could be a whole other sermon, and I'm not entirely sure yeah, we are getting quite... Yeah. Um, so I was very tempted to actually make this a whole other sermon. As I was going through this, it was um, the, the feeling I was getting from God is actually share with people how to prepare their hearts rather than the how-tos, one, two, three, step, one, two, three. And I'm very much a task-orientated orientated person so I wanted to do the step one two three this is how you do it but God kept asking me make sure you get people to prepare their hearts step four is the be ready though so I'm going to just jump into it real quick that's okay start with prayer pray specifically for opportunities for specific people while we were doing the empowered course we prayed for opportunities didn't we Dee And it was amazing how quickly and how much God answered our prayers. The Holy Spirit, his whole mission is to glorify Jesus. And if you are sitting there praying for opportunities to do this, he's going to be in. Know that feeling inadequate is totally okay. The Apostle Paul said he approached the Corinthians with great fear and trembling. And he was pretty qualified. And actually feeling inadequate is almost like a prerequisite because then we're relying on God and not on our own strength. 
once you've prepared your heart, started with prayer and you're relying on God, then you can step into the process of sharing the gospel. And like I said, this could be a whole other sermon. Um, but here's a couple of practical steps. Then maybe I can whet your appetite for the Empower course or the Bridge Builders course. Start by arousing a bit of curiosity. Jesus was the master of that, from asking questions. Who do you say I am? To answering questions with questions. You must think he was a lawyer. With parables and stories. They all raised people's curiosity and got them thinking. He made them reflect and then ask more questions. You could ask about what somebody believes and then explore why they believe that. This is a lot easier if you've already got that relationship with the person. And if you've prepared your heart, then you're going to be genuinely interested in their answers. Once curiosity has been piqued, then you might have an opportunity to share what you believe. Or this could be a great opportunity to invite them to the Alpha Court, which is the third advert in this sermon. I'm really sorry about all the adverts in this sermon, but again, it could be a great opportunity to invite them along to the Alpha Course. And you could accompany them and then sit in that setting and um, learn like, how to share the gospel in a relational way. If you do have the opportunity to share your beliefs, then one of the really useful tips in the Empower course was to think ahead of time about a really succinct way to explain the gospel in a couple of minutes, or a couple of sentences even. Um, that's actually really hard to do. And so having pre-done it in your head, and maybe even practice it a little bit in your head, helps you to keep it really simple, really precise, and avoid drowning them with information. And then that third step is to invite a response. And if you don't get the response you're looking for, keep praying to see them as God does. Keep being supportive without expecting anything in return and keep your actions rooted in love for them and love for God. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6 says that um, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God kept making it grow. It's God that produces the fruit. Not us. We've got the privilege of being co-laborers with the Holy Spirit. It's he that can change hearts. So like I said, there's just a few simple suggestions about how to start conversations and how you might go about engaging with people in this way. But again, the mission of God is relationship, so the goal of it is relationship. God's goal, God's mission is restored relationship and communion with his creation. So we need to keep that in mind the whole time that we are engaging with anyone in our community. I'd like to close now with a, a little bit of prayer and reflection time. An opportunity to ask God, for you to ask God, how he views the people in your lives. Where is he already working the answers might actually really surprise you. I'd also like to pray for opportunities for us here at Connect to share Jesus with others. But I want your permission first before I pray that. Because when we prayed that during the Empower Group, the opportunities came thick and fast. The Holy Spirit desires greatly to glorify Jesus. So I wanted to give you that warning 
Do I have your permission to pray for opportunities on your behalf? Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you that your mission is for the restoration of relationship with your creation. We are so undeserving of your grace, Lord God. We are all in the same boat, whether we're a lawyer, a witch doctor, or an accountant. We all need your grace. As we reflect on 2023 being a year of engagement, we ask that you help us to continually prepare our hearts so that we are ready to engage with your mission. And Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here. We're so privileged to be co-laborers with you. Prod us where we're slow to speak. Convict us if we hold back. Let your words be our words. We pray wholeheartedly for opportunities to glorify Jesus, whether that is through meeting people's needs and being the gospel in action or opportunities to share our faith and invite people to follow him. We pray, Holy Spirit, we pray for opportunities. And then we pray for the wisdom and the discernment as to how to handle those opportunities well. And now as each of us sits here with you in this moment, I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bring to mind pictures of people that we know and whose lives you are already working because we want to be working there too. So just take a moment where you're sitting just to ask the Holy Spirit that question. Now ask the Holy Spirit to help you to see these people as he does. Help us to remove any bias, any preconceived ideas, any of our own emotional baggage that prevents them from seeing prevents us from seeing them as you do, Holy Spirit. Please reveal to us what their needs are that you want met. And Holy Spirit, please fill us, fill us with your love for them. Not our limited love, but your love. Let your love flow through us so that our actions reflect you, our thoughts and our deeds reflect you. Let us be a conduit for your love. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>